0: We are sons. We are daughters. We are witnesses. Citizens of heaven. The temple. Christ's ambassadors. Worshippers. God's workmanship. We are more than conquerors. We are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. We are. We are. We are. 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 One. 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 We We are. We are. We are. Good evening, Sunday night. (laughs) If you love God, say good evening. evening. If you're happy to be here, say I am. (laughs) All right, good. All right, uh, John chapter 15, Russ Gordon, the man, uh, just read it a minute ago. That was fantastic. I'm going to read it again. And so you're going to know John 15 before you leave here, all right? So John chapter 15, Jesus seated at the Last Supper, about to embrace the cross, sitting there with his disciples. And uh, he makes his statement, this is so thick and this is so deep. And I know this is the New Testament reading. This could literally be its own series. There's so much in here, but we're going to try to pull out a little bit tonight. Uh, But John chapter 15, here we go. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So no worries. If you'll obey my commands, you're going to remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's command and remained in his love, I've been your example. I've demonstrated to you what it means, what it looks like to remain in love. I have told you this so that my joy, my joy, Jesus called literally, uh, was, it was stated of him that he was anointed with the oil of joy or the oil of gladness among all of his companions. So that was what the prophecy said of him. So when Jesus says that he has joy, we're not talking about a little bit of joy. We're talking about literally the most joyful man to walk the planet, all right? So he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, the unending pursuit of joy that we find in our culture, that we see throughout church history, there's one way to gain complete joy and it's in a person, it's in a man, it's in Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he'd lay down his life for his friends. And what we find here, Jesus saying is, I'm going to demonstrate to you what love looks like. I'm going to demonstrate what it looks like to be a friend. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you, looks at them, Thomas, look up, stop doubting. Peter, lock eyes with me, boys. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So he says, I'm inviting you into the plan. It's not just a command. You're gonna know stuff. You're gonna be brought into it. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That's a big statement. Everything, all, everything I have learned from my father. So Jesus, who literally walks with his father, Way back in Luke 2, 52, Jesus is growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. All throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus constantly sneaking off to get alone with his father to spend time with him. Jesus is abiding with his father over and over again. Jesus is a man, but he's also God. He's been abiding with his father. And he says, I've made it known to you, you imperfect vessels, you boys, you guys right here, I've made it, I've revealed it to you. He says, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, which is intriguing because in those days, disciples would choose the rabbi, but this is a flip. Jesus chose his disciples. He says, you didn't choose me. I came out. I came after you. I called you, Peter, from the fishing boat. I called you, Matthew, from collecting taxes. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love one another. Father, we pray that your word would come alive in us tonight. God, we are so thankful that we have it. We're so thankful as disciples in 2009, as people that are attempting to be your friends and your followers in this day and age. We're so thankful for your word, God. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord God, as we open this up tonight. We pray for your presence, Lord God, to warm our hearts. God, we pray that, there would not be, that we would not uh, just intellectually think through this, but Lord God, would you download things to our hearts? Would there be revelation that empowers us to live differently? Would you soften our hearts, Lord God, so that we could live as true friends of God? God, we, more than a sermon title, we want to be your friends, God. More than a series church, we want to be your friends, God. We love you, we trust you, amen. This title, We Are His Friends, that's what we're talking about tonight, that's what we talked about this morning, and We Are His Friends, and when I think of this idea, just when I first heard it, this is what we're going to be talking about tonight, just the idea, just the title itself is a bit intimidating. When you hear, We Are his friends. When you've grown up in church, you've been going to church for a long time, you can kind of take that and kind of just think of that in almost a lighthearted way. Oh yeah, of course, we're his friends. But realistically, when we just kind of settle in on it and gaze on it and, and, and look through the context of Jesus talking here and look at the weightiness of what Jesus is talking about, this is a pretty massive statement. And I don't know about you, but when I hear it, it's kind of intimidating for me when I just hear it. You know, we are his friends. Okay, we people that follow Jesus in Colorado Springs in 2009, we are friends of God. We are friends of the God who created the heavens and the earth. We are friends of the God who came and walked on the earth as a man who lived perfectly, who died on a cross, who rose from the dead, who's gonna return. He's got fire in his eyes, a sword in his mouth. He's big, he's holy, he's awesome. We're friends of that God. And sometimes it's easy to just kind of go, yeah, we're friends, take it casually, but let's look at this for a minute. And it's easy to just kind of take that and go, really? We, us, you, us with our iPhones and emails and busyness and all that we have, you and I, friends of God, really? When I hear it, it it sounds pretty weighty, it's pretty massive, and a lot of times, even I I work a lot with college students, and a lot of times when you start to talk around these ideas, there's a lot of people that pull back, kind of think that friends of God is for the superheroes, it's for the champions of the faith, you know, I might be a a Facebook friend of God, but I'm not a real friend. I'm not really close. It's easy then to kind of settle back and, and kind of pulling back and thinking that is some ideology that's unattainable, settle for something less than the full pursuit of trying to be obedient to what Jesus says to be his friends, to pull in close to his heart. And I think that it might be a little bit intimidating for us, but undoubtedly it is for these guys as well. I mean, surely as they've grown up as young Jewish men, they've read the, what we know as the Old Testament. They've read those books and they know of the famous friends of God. Abraham, the famous friend of God, Genesis 12. God looks at Abraham and says, hey, listen, whoever blesses you, all bless. I'm your boy, man. I'm with you we're buds. The great friend of God, Moses, the one who leads God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness. God takes care of them. In Exodus 33, he actually calls Moses his friend. He says that God would speak to Moses face to face like a man speaks with his friend. Surely you, they've read the Psalms and multiple psalms where David is so close to God. Where David says, God, keep me as the apple of your eye. Where David, even when we were reading Psalm 25 a minute ago, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. secret of the Lord. I mean, what? It's his friends. God tells stuff to his closest friends. David was an example of a friend of God. You can just imagine as they're sitting there and Jesus uses this language, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Back in John 13, just a few moments ago, two chapters earlier, Jesus literally gets down and serves them like a servant. And then he looks back at them and he says, no servant is greater than his master. He looks back and he's called them servants and now he's taking it to another level and he says, let me tell you this. Guys, beyond just being servants, beyond just being obedient to the commission or the mission of the Messiah. I want you to know that I see you as something more than that. I see you as friends. I I count you as friends. I imagine it's a pretty weighty moment. And I imagine if I'm one of those guys, I'm thinking about, man, do I... Am I gonna be able to sustain a friendship? Like, I mean, this is God, this is intense. It's interesting because in verse nine, right before he goes into the context here where he talks about being friends, he says this statement, he says in verse nine, where we started with tonight, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Which the depth of that, it's almost like you could freeze frame that for a minute and just imagine the depth of that statement made by Jesus to his disciples as the father, God, the father has loved me. Don't me just ask you this question tonight. If you try to imagine how much God, the father loves God, the son, how much can you fathom? I mean, just imagine how much does God, the father really love God, the son. They say that the way that you become friends or that you develop a relationship. One of the ways is that you spend a lot of time together. Well, Eternity past is quite a bit of time Eternity backwards, not bad Jesus and the Father hanging out from eternity past that's, that's a good chunk of time Go a billion times, a trillion times, a million times, a zillion plus one backwards How far can you go? It's a long way and Then they say that another way that you go deep as a friend Or that you create friendship is shared experiences Epic moments right? For us, we go, oh, camping together or something like that. You know, that's an epic moment. Imagine the father and the son creating the heavens and the earth together. Creation itself was a pretty epic moment. The father and the son creating the heavens and the earth together, not bad. Pretty epic moment, if you will. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Jesus was there creating the heavens and the earth with the Father. Huh! That's, that's a friendship. Hey, Jesus. Here, you go make Kansas. I'm going to work on Colorado. Colorado will take a little longer. <laughs> you know? Just kidding. Sorry, Matt. Hey, I mean create mountains and rivers and oceans and they create the heavens and the earth together. And then what's fun is what's fun is that Jesus becomes a man. So Jesus is on the earth and he's walking perfectly. Perfect. Sinless as a man. Now, if you're a heavenly father and you're looking down at a son who's walking in absolute righteousness, undoubtedly, there's a whole lot of delight in your heart. Proverbs 10 says that a wise son makes his father's heart glad. How much gladness exists in the heart of the father when he stares at his son who is perfect? Huh? I mean, if you're looking, I mean, I, I, I have three kids, you know, and when they have like a perfect 10 minutes, I'm delighted. 30 years. Jesus walks in absolute righteousness. One of the best moments that personifies it is in Matthew chapter 3. You know it well. It's the great baptism event. Jesus is, I mean, he's about to start ministry. And he's communed with his father. He's hung out with his father. He's about to embrace a few years where there's some good days and some hard days. There's some days where they want to make you king by force and there's some days where they want to put you to death. And Jesus is about to embrace what his father has called him to do, his mission. The work that God had called him to do on the earth. That's what it says in John 17. And literally it's this great moment because here's the father and the father looks at his son as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. You remember the story? All of us know the story. We think mostly about the dove comes down, but I want you to not catch just the dove comes down and lands on Jesus. But Matthew chapter 3, the great thing that I love is the, the heart of the Father that leans over a balcony of heaven and erupts with delight over his son. I mean, he le- literally, audible, I mean, imagine, an, you're, you're there, you're at the river, Jesus goes down, or trinkles, or I don't know where you come from, but wherever you believe, and somehow Jesus gets baptized. And right then, the father audibly declares from heaven, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. I don't think that the father is kind of up there and it's kind of a moment where he knows that he needs to say this so that Jesus will feel good. I don't think this is a moment where it's just kind of a robotic moment. I think it's a father that's filled with delight over his son, and he can't help but erupt with passion. He can't help but erupt with affection. And human history records an audible voice of a father who loves and delights in his son. And this is my son whom I love. (laughs) What's up, G? That's my boy. That's my son. This is my son whom I love with whom I take great delight, or with whom I am well pleased. Happens again in John 12, a third time in Matthew chapter 17. The Father just erupts with delight. So when we say, when Jesus is locking eyes with Philip, Thomas, Peter, Matthew, Andrew, guys, you're not really gonna catch the depth of what I'm saying right now But as the father, the extent to which the father loves me, the measure to which the father loves me, and he looks at him, he says, that's how I love you. That's the way that I love you. That's the way that I delight in you. And as you and I enter into, all right, we're talking this week about we are his friends, In my own journey, let me tell you the number one thing that if you can get this rock solid in your heart out of John 15, this is the foundation point into a whole whole world of sustaining fervor for God and maintaining friendship with God. This is the foundational piece that he loves me, that he delights in me. I can imagine, I don't know what it's like, but I imagine in those moments where you, where Jesus is looking at imperfect men and saying, that is the way that I love you, Peter. Yeah, you, Peter. Yeah, it's gonna be a long night, buddy. Rooster's gonna crow a few times. You're gonna deny that you even know me. And I know that full well, but even in the midst of that being about to happen, let me tell you this. I love you the way my father loves me. I love you with a perfect love. I love and delight in you, Peter. You're my friend. I'm with you. I'm for you. First John 5, it says, live in love. And that's the same idea here that we get with remaining and abiding. Live in it. Soak in it. Hang out in it. Study it. Pray it. Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. Take that and in your time alone with God, come before him. And when you feel weak, when you feel like, Surely he's friends with other people, but not you. Surely, surely, surely he's not close to me. Come before him and say, Holy Spirit, will you pour out the love of God into my heart? Help this truth live inside of my heart. I want it, I want to know it. I want to live in it. Verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Of course, we know that Jesus is foreshadowing that he's about to go to the cross. He's about to lay down his life. And before he does, here he is the best friend that's ever lived, the best example of a true friend. And he looks at his disciples and he says, greater love is no one than this. This is it, you lay down your life for someone else, for others. Lay down your life. And what's crazy is he's about to do that himself. And he's saying, guys, I've loved you with perfect love. Guys, I'm going to demonstrate to you what a friend looks like. He lays down his life. If you want to know what it's, what it's going to look like and what you may need to know down the road. I'm about to show it to you. I'm going to sh- I have laid down my life. And it's not just what he did on the cross. I mean, even when Jesus came to the earth, he was laying down his life. He's existing in eternity past as God. And yet he empties himself. He becomes a man, lives on the earth as a man. He's taking care of people. He's serving these guys. He goes to a cross. He demonstrates what it means to literally lay down his life. Sometimes when you hear this, you go, all right, David, that's nice. But there's that big if right in the middle right there. You are my friends if you do what I command. And how many, how many people have you known? How many have I known? In the last decade of doing life together with you here at New Life. I've run into so many. I've worked with so many college kids, so many teenagers, so many families that they they hear this idea and they want to go for God and yet realistically they buy into, well, you know what? I'm not able to live in perfection. That if stands in the way. If you do what I command, I'm not able to do the commandments. So they pull back and go, I guess someone else is a friend of God, but not me. I can't keep the commands perfectly. But I find that so intriguing because Jesus knows full well that all of them are going to betray him that very night. He's looking at imperfect men right there. I mean, he's not looking at angelic, incredible men that are going to keep every commandment. No! They all deny him that very night. Huh? That's good news for us. That's good news. I know you saw the Michelangelo paintings all of your life where they all have like halos sitting at the Last Supper and they're kind of like right there, Jesus in the middle and they're all like, oh, and you're like, I could never be like them and you kind of imagine, but these are not perfect men. Except for Judas, he always had horns over his head, like, you know, he kind of knew he was bad. But these are not perfect guys. These are guys that that very night run away. And Jesus knows full well and he looks at him. Guys, I love you the way my father loves me. I love you with a perfect love. Guys, greater love is knowing than this that he laid down his life for his friends. I'm about to show you what it looks like. And, guys, you know what? You're going to keep my commands. Not perfectly, none of them keep them perfectly. But you know what? Out of the knowledge of perfect love, the knowledge of perfect love embraces people, even in their weakness, when they fall short. Peter falls short, and yet in John 21, Jesus doesn't come to condemn him, he reinstates him. They all run away, they all disperse. And right here we find this big idea that as we try to be friends of God, it's not that we live the commandments out in perfection, but it's that even though we're weak, we're willing. We're willing. And what Jesus wants is people that are willing, friends that are willing. None of you, none of you. I know some, I know you got some good friends. I've got some good friends. Joe Couch is right here on the front row. He's a good friend. Matt Candler, he's a good friend. Not perfect. Right, None of us are perfect friends. There's only one friend that's ever perfect. His name is Jesus. And you know what? He looks at us and in moments where you fall short, where you come short in these commands, he doesn't look at you and go, I'm going to crush you. I want to mess you up. You didn't do it, boys. Peter, you disowned me to a girl. No. He says, Peter, lock eyes with me, Peter. John 21, Matthew, Thomas, Philip. He embraces them, he loves them. And here's the deal, when we live in love, when we live in the knowledge of a perfect father, a perfect friend, a perfect God loves us, even in our imperfection, then when we fall short of the command, we don't run away from God. We go, you know what? I am weak, but his love is perfect. And it empowers us and it strengthens us to run back to him. And we live as students of the love of God, as people that pray it every day. I mean, and I, every day is a, a lot, but what I'm saying is, a, I mean, get it, I mean, a lot. Like, we live in it. We love to talk about it. We love to pray about it. We talk about it with, with our friends. The love of God, it is our story. It is our story. Then it empowers us to come back to him over and over and over again. And that's what happened with these guys, these guys in their imperfection. Say, I'm not perfect, but I, I, they come back and, Ultimately, ultimately they come back and they say in my imperfection, I know that Jesus is God and I'm going to try to follow him. And you know what? Then they live out literally dying for their friend. The same way that Jesus here this is the night before he's arrested. And then a cru- the night that he's arrested and then he's crucified. He lives it out quickly. But you know what? 10 of the 12 are actually martyrs for their faith. 10 of the 12 actually then go and live this out. They actually die. They actually die for Jesus. It's interesting. I mean, just I'm just reading John 15 and going, wait a minute. Not only was this foreshadowing what Jesus did, but this, these disciples, they did die for their friend. Philip was crucified in AD 54. Barnabas was burned to death at 8864. in AD sixty-four. Peter was crucified upside down in eighty sixty-nine. Andrew was crucified in eighty seventy. Matthew beheaded, Ethiopia in eighty sixty, Luke hung, eighty ninety-three, Thomas speared to death in eighty seventy, Mark dragged to death, eighty sixty-four. James the less clubbed to death in Jerusalem in eighty sixty-six. And then the one who's speaking to us, the one who's writing this down, John the Beloved. He actually ends up in exile on the island of Patmos And what's interesting is John All that we have here in John This great 14, 15, 16 Where we get all this from Jesus John's actually when he writes this He's, towards, he's nearing the end of his life Most scholars think that this is the last book That he wrote So John Goes to write his version His story of Jesus and in it, we find John recording, not just the John 15, 9, as the fathers love me, so have I loved you. But you know what? That so got down into his core, that so became one of his convictions as to his identity, as to how he saw himself, the friend of God or b- the beloved, that five times in his own gospel, John doesn't even write his own name. Some, the disciple the Lord loves. Call me the one God likes. Call me the friend of God. This is how I see myself. And down towards the latter end, when he's writing his version, he doesn't even put in, you know, David Perkins, he puts in the beloved, the one that the Lord loves, the one that God delights in. See, John, John got this thing so deep in his heart that even at the latter end of his life, he was still referring to himself as this is his identity. This is how he talked about himself. And as we take baby steps into becoming friends of God, we talk about it, we talk about being friends of God. Let me tell you if, you, if this goes deep in your core, this is the thing that will sustain you. This is it. Nobody walks in perfection, nobody. But lots of people give up because they can't be perfect. Jesus is the only perfect friend. It is about coming back to him day after day after day after day. Even in this confession we said a minute ago. Sometimes that can just become kind of common. We kind of settle for less. We want to really, really press to go, Jesus, we do want to be your friends. We can be close. It is possible. It is possible to be friends of God. And imagine if that became the way we saw ourselves. Dude, what do you do? Oh, you know. I'm a computer programmer. I'm six foot three. Um, you know, I got, no, dude, I'm a friend of God. First and foremost, that's, that's, that's who I am. That's how I see myself. That's the primary identity that I walk in. I want to be close to God. It is the fulfillment of Matthew twenty two thirty seven: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we would love him the way that his father loves him. It is possible. It's, it's our core. It's an invitation. Because of Jesus' finished work of the cross, the Holy Spirit comes in power and weak people that are willing, broken, can draw close to the heart of God and become his friends. And there may be a, some greats that these disciples knew about in the Old Testament. You know... Abraham, Moses, but today, right now, because of what Jesus did, the playing field is even. All of us, every one of us can approach the throne of grace that we might find mercy and kindness and love and delight. Every one of us can cry out, Holy Spirit, reveal the love of God to me. Every one of us can be his friends. You can be a friend of God. I can be a friend of God. It's an invitation that's available to us that it's there for the taking. Imagine what, what takes place when we go, all right, we are his friends. We are, we choose, we want, we believe, we press, we're going to go after. We want to be the friends of God today. Not just Brady, not just Ross Parsley, but you, me. Sorry, I didn't mean to act him out there. <laughs> I can act out lots of people. I can act out Glenn, so... Um, You and I can be his friends. Friends, it's the greatest invitation. It's the greatest invitation available. That God sent his son, created a way for us to draw close, to be his friends. One of the things I find interesting in this text is that Jesus talks about bearing fruit He talks about joy. He talks about how great is his love for us. He talks about keeping the commandments. And undoubtedly, sometimes we look at that and it seems like a checklist. Like, I've got to fulfill this. I've got to fulfill this. I've got to bear fruit. I've got to have some kind of great, you know, love dynamic going on. But you know, one of the things I found is that as Jesus walked with the disciples, they had over a thousand days together, you know, over a thousand days. And sometimes we read through these stories in the gospels and we see all these big moments back to back to back to back. And we think if, if we're really friends of God, our journey needs to be like that. Our journey has to be, well, you know, one day we're telling, we love him. Another day there's this problem going on. One day we're, you know, um, help, you know, we're seeing, I don't know how we would do it in our life, but we're seeing fish, you know. Multiplied, or we're seeing storms. I mean, you know, we kind of have this idea that to be close, to be a friend of God, it means that there's this constant activity. But realistically, if we just look at John 15 here, a lot of the time, we're just remaining. We're just remaining in his love. We're just walking. There's a lot of days where Peter, James, and John, and Philip, and Thomas walk to another city, and we don't have any epic story going on. They're just marinating with Jesus. They're just there. They're just spending time. They're just with him. The great avenue into really being his friend is just be with him. I know, I love, I want to bear fruit. We want to bear fruit. We want to see lots of exciting things. We want joy unspeakable, joy to come in the morning. Joy will come, joy will come. But there's a lot of days where we just, like, I just say, like, small oxen. We just keep staying the course. Some oxen are bigger than others. We just keep moving forward, and we're going to remain with him. We spend time with him. We know him. We draw close, and we become his friends. You will become a friend of God as you spend time with God. As Those guys had the days that were exciting and the days that weren't that we're just walking to Jerusalem days. So tonight I wanna encourage each one of us as we pursue this, as we walk out, live in love, live in the knowledge of God's love, meditate on it, pray it, ask God to reveal it to you. And when you fall short of his commandments, When you fall short, come back to him. Run after him with all your heart. You'll grow in love. And then here's the deal, over time. Now, I I, I told stories of actual like people dying, but over time, we reciprocate what Jesus did in the sense that he laid down his life for us and now our greatest joy, our greatest delight is to lay our life down for him. That's your great joy. That's what Jesus said in John 15 That's where our joy comes That's our great privilege You're going to lay down your life for something Some people lay down their life for comfort They fight to have comfort Some people lay down their life to get security So that no matter what happens I feel safe because I've got a big bank account Or a big retirement account Some people live for their family security Some people live for recreation Some people lay their life down for themselves ultimately Or ultimately maybe For a cause But the great joy of the disciple is to lay our lives down like the best friend we've ever had laid his life down for us.